What can we say besides thank you for all of the wonderful music here today? And as we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, what a wonderful, wonderful thought. The empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And we take a look at the portion of Scripture that we're going to observe here today. And If you happen to have a Bible with you, you can maybe turn there to Matthew, starting at verse 20, or chapter 27, verse 62. And shall we rise as we read the Word of God today? The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while you were still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say that the disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Lord Jesus, today as we think about your resurrection and as we think about the fact that because you live, we can face tomorrow and life is worth the living. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would confirm in each one of our hearts the greatness of your resurrection 
and that we might be able to leave this place today rejoicing and saying, yes, my Savior lives, and the empty grave is there to prove it. Jesus, today would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me a usable gift to proclaim your word with all of the truth and the excitement and the spiritual unction that it deserves. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. The empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law remembered that Jesus had said that uh, even if they put him to death, that he would rise on the third day. And so they decided that they needed to make sure that the disciples did not come and steal the body away. And so they went to Pilate and they asked for an order to make the tomb secure. They wanted to make sure that no one would steal the body and deceive others. How did they make it secure? The best way that they could. They got a Roman guard and they sent this troop of guards there to the tomb to guard it for the three days. They rolled a big stone in front of the grave and they put a seal on it. Uh, the Jews guarded the tomb against, well, only against the intrusion of the disciples and their stealing the body. They forgot to guard the tomb against Jesus himself and he arose. And how can you guard against that? There was a violent earthquake. And the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning. You can almost imagine it in your minds. And his clothes were as white as snow. And these brave guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Think of that for a moment or two. Here the dead came to life and those that were living acted as though they were dead men. The guards, they were in a predicament. They were sent to guard the tomb and now the tomb had been cracked open and the body was gone. What were their options? You know, they didn't have a whole lot of options. They could have gone around to the people and said, hey, this dead man came back to life and uh, escaped from the tomb. And who's going to believe that? If they told the people that they went to sleep, they could be put to death because that was the punishment. But what other option did they have? And so they took the money from the chief priests and the elders, and they kept the promise that they would keep them out of trouble if anyone asked questions. Not only was the grave empty to prove that Jesus lived, but we find that there were many sightings of Jesus, and Jesus talked and walked with people after he arose. And we think about one man in particular who saw Jesus alive. That was the person of Paul. Paul had been against the Christians. He had been putting, he actually put people to death for believing in Christ. And all of a sudden, on his way to Damascus, this risen Jesus came to him. And when he came to him, what happened? It changed his life. And he wrote to the, uh, to the Colossian church in his letter, and he remarked that at one time there were over 500 people that saw Jesus 
alive after he arose. Yes, the empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. I noticed that the PowerPoint is, needs to be started back there, maybe. Um, as, we, as we think about it, yes, the empty grave is there to prove that my Savior lives. Not only that, the resurrection does something. It substantiates that the teachings of Jesus actually are true. One time early in his ministry, Jesus uh, went into the temple. It's recorded in John chapter 2. And he was very disturbed at what was going on there in the temple. The temple, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, a place where people could come confess their sins and, and bring their sacrifices to God for atonement. But now it was the hustle and bustle of a, of a large a group of people. Some of them had animals for sale, and they were charging people exorbitant prices. Others had the temple coin. You see, you could only pay the temple tax in the temple coin, and they were, choose, they were charging people inflated rates. And what did Jesus do? He picked up whips and cords, and he overturned the, the tables of the people that were there, charging people exorbitant rates for the coins. And he drove out the sheep and the cattle. And they came to Jesus. Can you imagine somebody coming in here on a Sunday morning and, and doing that? Taking a whip and driving half of you out and, and turning everything upside down? What would we do? We'd start asking some questions, right? And as we ask those questions, we think about, they said, what authority do you have to do this? And what was Jesus' reply? He began to talk about the temple of his body. And he says, tear this temple down, and in three days, I will build it up again. He was saying, if you put me to death, knowing that they would, in three days, I'm going to come back to life to prove that I have authority over all of these things. I don't know about you, but if somebody said that to me, and we did put him to death, and we put him into a tomb, and we guarded the tomb, and he came back to life, I'd have to say, he had the authority that he was talking about. We think about that here today. Jesus had all authority. The empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And for the believer, life is worth the living just because he lives. You know, as we think about that, though, the, uh, for the unbeliever, life is is not more hopeful because he lives. And I wish that I didn't have to uh, mention this part of the message here today because it's not as easy for me to preach that. And yet I wouldn't be a truthful messenger of God without saying it. Because he lives, the claims that he made are true. But for the person that rejects the promises of God, he has no claim on those promises. And James makes this remark, that man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
The claims of this hymn that we're, we're looking at even here today and using for part of the message, the claims of this hymn for the believer, I can face tomorrow, all fear is gone, and that he holds the future. Those scriptural claims bring no comfort for the unbeliever. Tomorrow holds no hope for the unbeliever. Paul thought about his life a little bit, his life before Jesus came into it, and, and talked and wrote to the Ephesian church and told them to look back to that time as well. And he said, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants and the promise, without hope, without God, in this world, Ephesians 2.12. And you know the person that rejects all hope and God's help? Tomorrow really holds no hope. You know, we look at this world around us, and it's a pretty hopeless world, isn't it? Especially over the last four or five years. We, we, we think about uh, how the ravages of COVID and how, yes, we've even lost some of our own members. We think about how uh, Pastor Walt died from it. And I had a, a friend that I worked right next to for 18 years succumbed and died to COVID. It's been a tough time. And now we think about war and, and uh, you know, and, and maybe the possibility that, that someone there in Russia would go nuclear. And it's not very hopeful. If you've uh, been a person like I have and you set aside a, a good enough sum, you think, well, I can, I can live through retirement on that sum. And then you begin to think, well, what if happens if inflation just brings it down to where it's absolutely worth nothing? There's a lot of hopeless situations in this world. And for the person that doesn't put their trust in, in this risen Lord, they have to slug it out by themselves. And that's not very hopeful. Tomorrow holds no hope for the unbeliever. And all fear is not gone for the unbeliever. The greatest fear of life is not what other people might do to us. But the greatest fear in life is that God's wrath is against me. Jesus said, and we had it read for us even here today, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him, John 3, 36. Or in another place, this one who has all authority, who came back to life to prove it, said, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one that I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. John 8, 24. Because he lives, he still holds the future. But that's not necessarily good news for the person who is an unbeliever. Because he lives, he claims, or his claims really are true. And his claim to return is true as well. We think about what Enoch prophesied, and it's written down in Jude, verses 14 and 15. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of the ungodly. If you're here today living in rejection and rebellion to Christ, I would beg you, stop running from him and consider the blessings that he has promised us 
the scriptural blessings that we see in this hymn, Because He Lives. For the believer, life is worth the living because he lives. Because he lives, the claims that he has made are true. And life is worth the living. We can have new hope and life. First Peter chapter three or one verse three, Peter writing and he says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." Just as we sang, a new hope because He lives. I can face tomorrow. Stanza two. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. There are a lot of people today that question, is it really good to bring a child into a world with times like these? But because he lives, we don't have to worry about disaster in the days ahead. That doesn't mean that tomorrow won't have its problems, but that he is there to walk with us and face those problems with us and on our behalf. For the person who trusts in Christ, Jesus, who has all authority, simply says this, Don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? The pagans run after all of those things, but your heavenly Father, He knows that you need them. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, we can live a life without fear, knowing that Jesus walks with us every step of the way. I found that to be true in my life over and over again. Many of you know that uh, we traveled down to Mesa in, in February, and it was, it, it was maybe a crazy idea to pull out your RV when it's below zero and pack it up and, and uh, take off when it's snowing. And, and the week before, I had an MRI, and, and I, I got a, an appointment at the surgeon. And he says, you can come in. And that was the morning we were going to leave. So at 8 o'clock, I went in and saw the surgeon, and he says, guess what? We're going to have to take out that, that cyst on your spine, and we're going to have to fuse the, the, the spinal joint right above the one that's already fused. And with that news, we got into our RV in the snowstorm, and off we went. Some of the nights on the way down to Mesa, we found that it was 8 degrees below zero. Anyone like to camp when it's 8 degrees below zero? But God was with us. Things worked out well. Our generator performed beautifully, and we our furnace worked well. You know, and on our way down there, we had a, a wonderful time. But on the way back, we noticed our alternator. It wanted to just put out way too much uh, electricity. 
And as it did, the, the, the fan heater motor, you could tell when it was happening, it would just start going 100 miles an hour and you're wondering, what is going to happen to all of the electronics in this engine and in the transmission and, and in the, the, the coach itself? And it was freezing cold outside. I, I think it was somewhere right around zero and the wind was howling and we were somewhere about 100 miles south of Kansas City. So I started calling a Freightliner dealers. It's a Freightliner uh, product. And, and they, they, they said, the soonest we can get you in would be about six weeks. And so Karen and I decided, you know, let's just pray. Why don't we go to prayer more often, right? Let's just pray about it. And I, I prayed about it. I went and put on my Carhartt uh, jacket and hat and got out my cardboard so I could slide under it. We were in a, a gravel uh, truck parking lot and I, I thought, I'm going to get under there and see what I can see. I opened up the bins where the batteries were and shook some of the cables and there one of the cables was loose. I got out a wrench, tightened down that cable and God answered our prayers. God walks with us in the trials of life. And we can be assured of that. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Man's greatest foe, man's greatest fear and enemy is death. And what comes after that? The scriptures remind us that man is destined to die once and after that, face the judgment. But because he lives, the fear of death and judgment have been dealt with. Stanza 1 puts it in this way, He came to love, to heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon, and the empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because of His death and resurrection, the believer can be assured that God's wrath against us has been satisfied. And we now have the righteousness of Christ. Paul again, the one who had seen this risen Christ, wrote to the Colossians and he says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. And he knew because he had seen him alive. Notice what his death and resurrection accomplished. As Peter puts it, for Christ died for sins once, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Or Romans chapter 4, God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. He delivered us over to death and for sins, he was raised to life for our justification. Fear is replaced with love and respect. He lived and died to buy my pardon. Therefore, I will love and serve and respect him forever. When man's greatest fear is taken care of, all other fears fall by the wayside. 
and we can live confidently in life. Many of you know that I was uh, in the restaurant business uh, before I became a pastor. That, that must have been four. Can you imagine all that's transpired in 40 years? But um, in the restaurant business at that time, everybody paid with cash. There was no internet. You couldn't, you couldn't give them your card and they would just run the number and charge it. And so we had tons of cash come in. And uh, sometimes I would go to the bank with thousands and thousands of dollars of cash at night and had to get out of the car and walk up to their night deposit. Some of the, some of the uh, people that worked there that were uh, not trusting in Jesus said, aren't you afraid when you go and do that? And I said, what's the worst thing that could happen? They could rob me and kill me. And then I'd come right into heaven itself. Fear is gone. Sure, we're cautious. And yet we know that we will be with Jesus. Because He lives, all fear is gone. And I know He holds the future. Stanza 4 puts it in this way. Then one day, I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory. And I'll know He lives. Because he lives, this one who had all authority, his claims are true. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 puts it in this way. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for all who are waiting for him. Because he lives... His return will be glorious for those that are waiting for Him. Think of some of the things. Because He lives, there will be rest and reward for the labors of this life. Revelation 14, 13 simply puts it in this way. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are those who are dead and die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Because He lives, His return will be glorious. We will have changed immortal bodies. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. What a wonder that is going to be. I was talking with Karen yesterday and she says, I don't think I can just wait that long until I die to get that glorious body. And I think I had to agree with her. Maybe some of you are in that same boat. Because he lives, his return will be glorious. He'll take us to our heavenly home to live forever. And I especially like the King James Version of this, uh, uh, this verse, John chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Because He lives. His return will be glorious for those waiting for Him. Because death has been conquered. 
John 3.16, the one verse that we love so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This one who died to show his authority and was brought back to life to prove that we were justified says we will have eternal life. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. These, there are many certain things in this life that will make life worthwhile. But the resurrection of Christ overshadows them all. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Why? Because I know that he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's stand, take out our hymnals and turn to hymn number 545, Because He Lives.